You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. I'm Colleen, and I'll be your host today. All right, I am doubly excited today to have as my guest on Beyond the Jargon a repeat guest, one of my first interviews. This is a follow-up interview with the amazing Frank Burgess, who has who is in particle physics. And for those of you that didn't hear the first interview, please go to the archives on the Graduate Student Society website and and even the CFUV website to find his first interview. So it was fabulous. It was fun. And he explained particle physics in a way that didn't lose us. So it was great. But this time we're going to go a little more advanced. And we have just discovered that Frank has actually officially gotten his Ph.D. So welcome, Frank. Hi, and, and thanks for having me back. And congratulations. <laughs> it feels good. That is awesome. I told so many people um, over the past few weeks that I was going to be interviewing you again, and everybody's like, oh, Frank, that physics guy, I love that guy. So this is, uh, you have fans out there, Frank. I might have taken a longer time for my PhD than absolutely necessary by <laughs> trying to be social in the meantime rather nice. than just huddling in front of my computer all day. Nice. Excellent. Um, and yeah, Uvic has been a really fun place to do the PhD because yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a good easygoing atmosphere. I was kind of looking at when we interviewed and it was almost a year ago. And so it was in the beginning of June and we're just in the beginning of May right now, so I didn't realize oh. that much time had gone by. Time flies, yeah. So can I, you, I hardly know it all go by. I know, right? Can you give us a little recap of what occurred between last June and right now as far as your PhD program? I think when we were talking last June, I was in a little bit of a panic because I had to finish a talk for like the, like the a national conference uh, about physics where I was presenting the final results from my, uh, for my thesis. Yeah, no pressure, no um, pressure. No, no pressure at all. <laughs> Um, so I, I went off and gave my talk there, and everything everything went well. It was a really enjoyable conference. Uh, nice. It was over on the, the University of Calgary campus. Oh, nice. Beautiful sunny weather. I uh, got to meet up with a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while. Excellent. Um, the, especially the particle physics community in Canada is fairly tight-knit because there's maybe 150 people, maybe 200 people there. So oh, you pretty yeah. much know everyone, and it's it's nice to, to, to see each other again. Yeah, nice. Um Anyway, the talk went really well, and afterwards I launched straight into writing my dissertation, which uh, is this lengthy, well, it's almost a, it is a book, really, that you write at the end of your PhD. Um, Mine was on the shorter side with only 140 pages worth of stuff. Nice, though, Um, so you're able to do it and be concise. I, I, I was aiming to be concise, because honestly... It's easy to write 400 pages about this stuff if you just rant. Right. Um, I think it's more important to choose uh, an argument and just limit yourself to the pieces of work that you've done that are needed to support that argument. Okay. And uh, therefore, like, less is more, right? If you manage to get this done in as few pages as possible... And your committee, which you have to defend the dissertation to, still finds that you've properly included a full argument in that thesis, then uh, then all the better, because you're not wasting anyone's time by including things that nobody needs to hear about. Yes. Or that might have been interesting in their own right, but are not relevant. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so, so then you wrote it. And that took you to what time period in, the, finished, in the year? I finished writing end of October. Oh, okay. Um, that is a long time to be writing. It, it takes a while yeah. uh, to go from like nothing to 
having the entire a, a thing. A draft? Written. I yeah. mean, I, all the research had been done at that point. Right. And I feel quite proud of the fact that, like, while I was writing, um, there was one small addition to the analysis that I had to do. Well, usually when you write this thing, you realize that you're, you're making a plot and you put it into your thesis and you think about it and you talk about it with your supervisor in the context of the thesis and you realize that you need to do a bit more work to fix something or okay. to, to, to support this plot. But it seemed that I'd managed to somehow plan my thesis together that I didn't run into that problem. Interesting. Um, nice. Only that at the very end we realized there was like one additional piece that would make a very nice uh, sort of wrap-up to the yeah. entire to the conclusion of the thesis, um, which we'd already thought about when we started the work. And when I was constructing my analysis, I'd already like left this as a sort of possible addition. Um, and I felt immensely proud that when I added it in, things just worked. Nice. Um, which wasn't entirely obvious, but right. yeah. So um, a there's a little bit of work, but most of it is just sitting down and writing about stuff. And that can be tough some days. Um, yes. When you sit down in front of your computer... Yeah. And you just can't think about how to start the next paragraph. Yeah, and there's but the pressure to prove yourself and you know that you're going to have to present this and defend. That's a lot of pressure. It's uh yeah, you you don't want to be writing something wrong right. or irrelevant because you're giving this to a panel of in the end as five profs that all read your thesis and then you you defend it in this two-hour grueling exam gauntlet yes. where they get to ask you anything about anything that you've written in the thesis um, or anything relevant to the thesis. So if you say something wrong or useless in there, um, you're setting yourself up to uh, to uh, to um, get destroyed. Yeah. Oh, so nice. uh, oh. so it's 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 a bit of pressure to make sure that you're you're getting everything yes. right. But in that process, you learn a lot. Like, I learned a lot about the background information, that, like things that I knew before that I had to relearn. Yes. Or extra, like, background that I hadn't really thought about beforehand. Mm -hmm. And um, then went and read a few papers and, and looked through a book. And I actually learned a lot of, uh, a lot of the background um, just in the act of writing the thesis. Nice. So as such, it's writing this is also, is, as much as it is the, the sort of crowning piece, I guess, the, yes. the, the last hurdle that you have to go over. It is actually a, a learning experience as well. Interesting. Um, so there's a lot involved. And so then yeah. that took you, so you said you wrote till October, then you did what? You did an exam? It, okay, so then there's a bit of time for uh, for bureaucracy to go by, right? Okay, and, um, they re so and your work gets reviewed. First, first I have to give, um, there are there are four profs on my panel that are from UVic. Okay. Um, there's my supervisor, who is from the physics department, uh, two other profs that are from the physics department, and one prof that is from a completely different field, um, who just serves as like you know it's like an outside field member that like you know they they don't do physics, they are quite capable of understanding this stuff, and just to see that like you know the way we work in physics is similar to the way we work in, in math and chemistry right, right. in my case it was uh, somebody from earth and ocean sciences right okay um so just generally that that you know you have a consensus about how science how science should be done i okay, guess okay excellent um they all get two weeks to look over my thesis to and agree that they're okay with what's in there okay uh they gave me a few comments which in the end i had to update one plot because 
while it displayed properly in a Linux uh, document reader and a Macintosh document reader, it did not display properly in a Windows document reader. Oh, so it came down to actually a so little like computer very, tech issue. Yeah, very, very tiny little pieces yeah. like that. And there, I had to add one word in a paragraph um, that, um, well, it's an important paragraph. It's the abstract that kind of gives you the, the like one paragraph summary of what's going right. on in the thesis. And I'd forgotten to include one word in that that just rounded it off nice. uh, more professionally. Okay. Which one of my uh, which one of my committee members caught? Um, and after yeah, after they had their two weeks with it and gave me their their comments, uh, implemented the last comments, and then I sent it off to go through the actual university bureaucracy, okay. uh, which mainly involves sending it to an external examiner, which is a uh, uh, somebody who is a professional in the field, mm-hmm. um, like somebody who's considered an authority, uh, but has to be from another university, whom we then fly over here for the exam. And the, as far as I understand, it, the main point of the um, of the examination really is to convince the external examiner that the work that I've done is um, is PhD worthy, right? Okay. Like. At, at so, so point, to add some credibility, so it's not just yeah. it's, you don't have a PhD based on all of these really nice professors you've worked with at UVic, and it's just a UVic opinion. This yeah. becomes this makes it more of this no. Is, this is a this general is a opinion. General, as a global opinion. Global in the opinion field. in the field. No, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean the the UVic professors were with me for the entire duration of my PhD, right? So they. They followed the work, and they must agree that you know that exactly. he's done something good here, right? Exactly. And then they are pretty much there. They, I mean, they'll still ask tough questions, but their questions are designed because they think that well, I know the answer, and it's just something nice to point out right. to the external examiner that hey, look, he knows what he's doing, right? Um, Excellent. Okay, that makes sense. That makes so, sense. And so, when did that occur? Um, so. Because of the time that it takes for like the corrections to go in from my from my committee here at UVic, I handed the thesis to the faculty of grad studies and my external mid December. Okay, is the timeline at that point? Um, because you know, profs are people too. Yes, I didn't want to. Professors have <laughs> lives. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to schedule my defense right at the beginning of uh, of uh, January. Such that she had to spend her Christmas holiday reading my thesis, and yes. that's—I don't think that would make her too happy with me. Right. Um, so I actually scheduled my defense in February. Turns out, one of the days that was available for everyone was Valentine's Day. Ah. So, uh, so I decided to set myself up for a nice date with my defense. Nice, excellent. I brought a box of chocolates. Excellent, perfect, perfect. Okay, so clearly you did well in the defense because you then. Um, when do you I, receive the official notice that you rec- that you got the PhD? Is it oh, at the very at the end, end of the, the exam? Of the, at the end of the exam. So the way the exam works is first there's like a 20-minute presentation where you get to prepare like an overview to sort of set the tone for the for the for the next two hours of right. questioning. Then you get two hours of questioning where the the, the panel of profs asks you um, in a couple of like you know uh, rounds of questions everything that they'd like to ask. If there's time, there's like the examinations are open for anyone in the faculty of grad studies and anyone in general to come and attend and check and so it out. they can also ask questions uh, if there's time at the if end. If there's time, okay. Uh, the floor is open for any questions. I, uh, some friends of mine who I know from 
playing games with and going hiking with and going diving with came uh, came out to, to, to see my to defense. support you. And nice. Of course, a lot of the other grad students came in and a nice. few of the profs came in to, to see the defense, right? So you had a lot of support going uh, in. Yeah, I had a, a lot of a lot of people there and it was, it was really nice to have them there um, because, I, okay, Honestly, up there, I was a little deer in the headlight, and I, I don't think I probably. Uh, well, of course, I probably it's didn't acknowledge everyone except for the committee of people there. <laughs> yes, um, but it, it was really nice to have people there, such yeah. that it's not just you and this like Inquisition, Inquisition <laughs> sitting in the room. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, good for again, you. Different people are different. I I like talking in front of an audience. I know that there's a lot of people that have a problem with that. Right. So. Uh, which is the Which reason one? why you have fans. Every time I walk on this <laughs> campus, oh, I know Frank. I love Frank. Okay. So now and you have your PhD. All of you people are awesome. I'm just going to say. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Okay. So now I promised that we'd get to do this last time. You nicely explained particle physics in language that I could understand. And and we got to the end of the interview and you said, okay. And I said, well, time is up. And you go, and you were like, well, we really haven't gotten to what my research was yet and i'm like okay that will have to be another time so that i don't you know overload here so here is the moment now you, you we left off where you, where you were explaining matter and i remember raisins and pudding and uh and and let's go a little more advanced than that and tell me what it was that was your particular focus and we'll figure out from there how we can make Put this, this understandable <laughs> So instead of going from the general worldview down to the particle physics, let's go to the bottom-up approach. Yeah, I guess. let's do that. <laughs> um, okay, so I believe the last time we left off, I had explained how um, protons, which are in the nuclei, um, the, the one of the fundamental pieces of what makes an atom, are built themselves out of quarks. Uh, bunch of quarks sit around in a proton. You can kind of think of a proton as a bag of quarks that just shakes around. Yes. And um, I was investigating whether or not the, there's sort of like, you know, a deeper level to things that quarks themselves, which currently in physics we think are fundamental and point-like particles, whether they are actually themselves sort of bags of stuff. Right. Um, so the way you do this is uh, we build these ginormous accelerators. Uh, the one that I work on is uh, this thing called the Large Hadron Collider over at the uh, CERN Laboratory in Geneva, Switzerland. Okay. Uh, what we have there is a sequence of accelerators where you take uh, protons. Originally, you start with hydrogen, um, which for those of you who might have uh, not paid full attention in chemistry class back in high school. Hydrogen. I'm sure there's a few people out there <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I can I can understand why you might want to take a nap during that lunchtime chemistry <laughs> yes. class. Um, hydrogen is uh, that element way in the top left corner of the periodic table. It's oh, yes. Up okay. There. there we go. It's up there because there's just one proton in the nucleus and one electron that flies around it. So really, it's really lightweight. Really lightweight. It's, it's usually gaseous. Um, okay. And it's... Well, fairly simple to understand. Well, easy enough to understand. You don't need to have anything crazy added to it. Right? Okay, got it. Um, so we pretty much take hydrogen yep. and um, we negatively ionize it. You just put it next to like a negative charge, a cathode, and that way you can have a charge. You can interact with it. You accelerate it. Then you accelerate it through a piece of metal, say. Okay. And the electrons get stuck in the piece of metal and the proton just goes through. And then you have a proton sitting there. 
Interesting. Which itself also has a charge. Therefore, you can keep on accelerating the proton, and you put it through these like sequence of accelerators, which put it to sequentially higher energy. Um, in particle physics, we talk about energy because it's a more meaningful measure than speed or velocity. Okay. Um, when you're accelerating those small particles to any sort of like through any sort of means, you're ending up with something that is very close to the speed of light, and it doesn't really make sense here. 99.999% the speed of light or 99.999999999% the speed of light. Exactly. Eventually it just becomes silly. Yes. Um, but you could, for example, say you, you've accelerated them to one giga electron volt, which is a unit of energy that is useful in particle physics. Okay. Or you can say, for example, what we did with the LHC. Um, and what is we, L8? The Large Hadron Collider. Ah, uh, thank you. We, uh, sorry, we really like our TLAs and <laughs> And the TLAs? Uh, Three-letter acronyms. Thank you. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, with, uh, with that accelerator, we, uh, we brought uh, protons to 3.5 tera electron volts. And uh, why, what is the point of doing that? What does that do when you get it to that state? Ah, uh, this... The more energy you pump into into these beams, the the more energy you get into collisions between particles that you've uh, that okay. you've uh, accelerated. The energy is important. Think about it this way: um, if you're looking at anything around you, I'm looking at Colleen's face in this case. All right. Hey, this <laughs> as is, I wave back. This is this is pretty much a particle physics experiment, right? Um, what's happening here? Instead of accelerating two protons and scattering them off each other. We're taking photons that come from uh, from the light and the overhead lighting. Yep. Okay. Those photons are emitted there. They hit Colleen in the eye. Some of them get absorbed. Some of them get scattered back. Those that get scattered back come to me into my eye where they're recorded. Ah. And then my brain transfers that information from thousands and thousands and millions of photons that have hit Colleen's face and then my eye to be able to tell me, okay, there's Colleen's eyes, there's her forehead, there's her nose. So right? it becomes the image. That becomes the image, right? The way the, the reason this works to such very nice precision is because a photon is much, much smaller than a person, right? right. A photon is nanometers in size. Right. Okay. Um, Teeny tiny. <laughs> now, if you're trying to make out maybe, say, an atom using visible photons, is this possible? Um, I well, would say no. <laughs> the, the problem is that like a, an atom generally would be smaller than visible light. Right. Therefore, it would be like trying to resolve somebody's face by throwing basketballs at their face and like you know seeing oh, which yeah. way the basketballs fly. I'm pretty sure most people would not take kindly to you throwing basketballs at them in the first place. Yeah. And second, you'd probably not be able to figure out where their eyes are by how a basketball bounces off somebody's face. Right. Um, All right, that makes sense. The same thing is true for trying to resolve, for example, a proton inside an atom, right? The proton is way smaller than the atom, and the light is too big to resolve the atom, right? Okay. So you need to get something smaller to figure out the atom. Ah. Now, how do you get something smaller? Yeah, really. Um, Seriously. What's, for example, what's what's smaller than light? Well, you've probably heard of, like, x-rays, yes. right? They're just smaller wavelengths, more, smaller chunks of light. Interesting. Um, which means you can resolve smaller things with x-rays, right? Oh, okay. Um, in this case, also, a smaller chunk means more energy, 
Okay. Okay. And that's where the higher energy comes in. Gotcha. Eventually, it becomes really hard to make X rays and gamma rays and ever higher photons. Um, but you can exploit this thing called a wave particle duality. Um, yeah. Particle like particles on a quantum mechanical level, they behave like waves. Therefore, you can scatter them like light off a target. And that it's a lot easier to take those those particles, like protons, in the Large Hadron Collider and accelerate them to very high energies, something that we can't even get close to with photons. Okay. Therefore, we built these big particle accelerators to let us resolve things to a much smaller scale than is possible with light. All right. And so then, so hence, what does one... Now you, you've done that, and what do you do with that? Okay. So we get to investigate whether there is small structure inside of things, okay. right? And with light, you can look into, like, you can scrape some skin off a person, and you can see the cell structure right. and all this. You can even see the nuclei. We're trying to do something similar, say, with, um, with, with protons. You can get the structure of the quarks and stuff that make up the protons. Um, what I was trying to do, let's go one step further, do the same thing to quarks. We have gone to that level with this new accelerator. Interesting. Um, so what we do is we have uh, one beam of protons going one way, one beam of protons going the other way, smash them into each other. At this energy, what actually happens is it's not the protons themselves that collide, it's the quarks inside the proton inside the two protons that, that collide. Okay. This is what I'm interested in because if those quarks are actually themselves bags of stuff, you'd see some something else come out of right. than it you would, would break something's gonna break apart and well, right? I mean if they're colliding they're crashing. It's sort of, um, think of it more like, I, I'm not looking to actually break the quarks themselves apart. We wouldn't have enough energy for for doing that yet. Oh, okay. Otherwise, there would have been other evidence of this sort of thing already happening. But, for example, if you were to, say, let's go back to the analogy of ball sports. If you were to throw two basketballs against each other, you'd expect them to recoil off one another in a different way than if you threw a basketball and a football against each other, right? Right, exactly. Because the football has this weird oval shape, it's going to bounce in all kinds of funny angles. Right. Um, I'm doing something similar here, assuming that, well, if a quark is just a point and therefore much like you know, a spherical basketball in the way it behaves, um, it'll bounce off other quarks in a different way than if they were in some other shape, like, for example, I don't know, a football. Right, right exactly. Um, this is the, the, the kind of simplified overview of it, but that's pretty much, I'm expecting the, um, the decay products of collisions between quarks to scatter into different angles depending on whether there is structure inside the quark in, right. or not. So you, that was what you were looking at. Is that what you found? Or what? is that just, is your research only stage one of that and it requires further research? Um, so what I've found is that uh, using this data we have from this collider, uh, in fact, I used the data that we collected in 2010. Okay. Um, and using that, I've been able to exclude structure inside the quark to some ridiculously high measure, which okay. uh, to put this in units is a bit more, uh, around 10 to the minus 20 meters. Uh, that Whoa. number probably doesn't mean much to 
anyone. It um, sounds like a crazy number. So <laughs> to put it to in layperson's terms. 10 to the minus 3 meters, that's one yeah. thousandth of a meter. Right. It's a millimeter, and that's an ant or something yes, like that, right? right? 10 to the minus 6 meters, that's a thousandth of a thousandth of a meter, a right. micrometer. That's like the size of a cell, right? Right. 10 to the minus 9 meters, we're getting to the size of like molecules, uh, DNA, for example, right? Then 10 to the minus 12 meters, you're talking about the size of um, of single atoms. Yes. Smaller than that. 10 to the minus 15 meters, now we're talking about the size of a proton. Right. It's a Fermi meter, approximately, it's called. All these things have names. And so you are going and smaller than that. Smaller and smaller than that. I'm going a hundred thousandth of that, even. So. That's, that's just crazy. But so cool at the same time. <laughs> okay, one thing I really wanted to ask is about this, um, when you say you put them through the accelerator, can you describe, when you said it was ginormous, what what does the machine look like? You know, because we're on radio, can you give us a visual? <laughs> yeah. So it's so almost why like... why do you need so big a machine to yes. measure something so small? Yes. Um, this has to do with having to accelerate those protons to a very high energy. Yes. Uh, so first off, um, what we use is... We pretty much, it's similar to what you might have had in uh, a CRT television. I think I might have gi- given this analogy in our yes. last interview, right? <laughs> yes. You, you put a, a negative charge and a positive charge, and if you have a positive particle, it'll try to go from the positive charge to the negative charge, and you just chain things like that right. together. Um, technically, it gets a lot more complicated than that, but that's more or less how it works. Uh, and you. But the machine itself is what size? That's what I find most okay. intriguing. So you build these chains together. You also have to steer the protons, which you do with magnetic right. fields. We do right. this uh, building, well, these constructs, which a single piece of this, like a single magnet used for steering, yes. is um, it's a bit taller than me. Um, and Frank's a pretty tall guy, so. <laughs> think about it. It's, it's this big blue tube. Yes. Uh, the top of the tube, um, if you lay it horizontally on the on Is the what, seven feet? Is, uh, yeah, I'd say about two meters, seven yeah. feet or something uh, tall. We're, in Europe over there, we do, we do everything in metric. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm from the States. The tube, itself <laughs> is, uh, the tube itself is 15 meters. Well, I think it's 12 meters long. <laughs> um, let's go with 12 meters yeah long. yeah yeah um it, it weighs somewhere on the order of 15 tons it's it's one of them is the weight and one of them interesting. is interesting the that's um in- that's they're like almost two meters around um so and, there's not uh, very many of these around in the uh, world you I, have to have some serious they're, they're custom they're custom yeah. made for cern uh there are a fair number of them around because for that accelerator there is about 4,500 of them used for steering. Then there is almost 2,000 of them used for um, focusing the beam and controlling the beam in various ways. Oh, wow. Um, there's hundreds of cavities that are used for accelerating, and they're all off that scale. Um, all wow. of those sit in a tunnel uh, underneath Geneva, about 100 meters underground. Um, that tunnel is 27 kilometers long. If you go, it's a circle wow. that you'd go around. And if you go once around the circle, you'd walk for 27 kilometers. That's um, intense. These things are big. They need to be big because of the properties of, of protons when you right. accelerate them. If you try to steer them, they lose a whole bunch of energy. The slighter the curve is that you steer them through, the less energy they lose. 
Um, mm. Therefore, you need these giant machines. You do need, yes. Okay, so now we've you've done all this. You've you've got the quartz. You're colliding them. And at what point? What did you arrive at in, for your dissertation? How did this play out? Well. As I said, uh, like what I was looking for is that with, with these high-energy collisions, whether we could see whether there was structure in the quarks. And I was and able to say that, well, no, there isn't. It looks like they're just points. Right. Okay. So that was your very final That was word my on final that. result. That it, well, this is all statistics limited. So I, I had we – we can only, with this accelerator, investigate to a certain size. Right. If, if there was structure that is much smaller than that, we wouldn't be able to see it. So I can only say with, well, some confidence right. that to that size of 10 to the minus 20 meters, which is tiny, they look like points. Okay. But if there's something smaller than that, we just wouldn't have been able to see it. Right. Um, so now where do you go from here? What, do, what does one do when ha- one has this information and has this uh, dissertation, has this research, now has your degree? What what? What would you like to do with this? What do I want to do? Okay, so <laughs> bit, I've actually spent, uh, well, since I defended in February, a fair bit of time, well, first celebrating my defense and yes. then going soul searching <laughs> for a while, what I want to do with myself. Um, I found that, well, overall, the, the, the grand schemes of doing particle physics is awesome and cool and yes. really exciting. But um, the minutia of doing the analysis um, can get a little. Uh, it, it drags on. It gets it. It gets a little much. Yeah. I, I, en- I enjoyed the the people that I worked with. I enjoyed doing the work, um, but I'm not entirely sure I want to keep on doing that. Uh, one thing that I did find that I really really geeked out on while I was working on yes. this stuff was the the computational aspects. Yeah. Um, like writing the code properly and actually making things work nicely and um, taking advantage of this massive confu- computing infrastructure that we've built for this. Oh, uh, brilliant. So I'm trying, well, trying. Um, I'm looking to get into a little more into the um, into the computing um, world that brilliant. has That's great. constructed itself around this sort of research area. So this whole process, you've just... You haven't stopped learning. It's really you, what it comes down to. It. Yeah, you never you never stop learning, right? And you, I I wouldn't want to. I mean, that's one of the things I really enjoyed is learning new things and and finding out new new things, right? That's why research is interesting because yeah. you always get to do something new. There's it's um, it doesn't just end. Yeah, that's right. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Well, okay, we are out of time. Thanks again for coming, Frank. Thank this you very great. much for having me. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.